When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome on in to the Wolverine.com podcast. It's a Ballas and Skeen show. It should be Skeen and Ballas show for being on it. <laughs> but but uh, you know what? I don't know. It's in my contract. So anyway, we are back. And uh, I'm Chris Ballas with me, Doug Skeen, Michigan's five-time Big Ten champion. And uh, you know what, Skeen? Great stuff, really, in a lot of areas on Saturday. Michigan's first win over ECU. It was clunky at times, which you kind of expect from an opener at times. But at the same time, you know what, you take a win. So uh, first things first, before we get to that, though, I want to uh, thank our sponsor, Homefield, Homefield Apparel. And uh, let me call them up here. Homefield is a premium collegiate apparel brand based in Indianapolis. Commitment to creating incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Growing collection of over 150 plus colleges to choose from, including your favorite teams, including Michigan. I'm winning. I'm wearing it right now, as you can see. Uh, great stuff. I love the, uh, in fact, scheme they sent us. A Rose Bowl Champions 1992 shirt, which was pretty awesome. Um, I'm going to get you one of those. I think you're still probably a double XL, if I'm not mistaken. So, <laughs> yeah, you can yes. put me down for it too. All right, but it was awesome, and uh, and just really cool stuff. When I got it, I thought I can't wait to show Skeen. I will wear it next time. So, but they've got ded- dedication to the archives and history of each school. Discover unique logos, mascots, iconic moments to create thoughtfully designed apparel. Authentic nostalgia of the designs, perfect for showing off your team pride as college uh, football returns. So uh, again, man, the 1992 long sleeve was was fantastic. Can't wait till it cools down a little bit so I can wear that. Uh, I love the the brand's attention to detail and really the 92. You know what brought me back, buddy? It really did. So, yeah, Dallas uh, was only 31 years ago. Oh God, help me! So <laughs> I still think I have a Big Ten championship shirt from uh, from that era. So. Um, but it's homefieldapparel.com, folks, homefieldapparel.com. Um, and the it, code Wolverine23 is good for 15% off any first order with Homefield. Again, it is uh, homefieldapparel.com. You get good stuff like this that I wore this weekend uh, when I went with some friends. So, um, Skeen, I'm going to make sure you get one because uh, that was a great memory for me. Man, I, it's hard to believe it was that long ago, but I lived vicariously through you guys and I lived and died. Sometimes I felt like some of us – almost cared more than the guys that played in the game or, or, you know, 
took it harder. Well, you know, it's easy to do that now. Yeah. A lot of a lot of us former players feel the same way, and we yeah. want, we want what we had when we were there for these young men. And the last the last two teams have in this seasons have done it. Of course, the, you know the playoff picture is a little bit different now than what we had, but we want we desperately want these guys to win to hang more banners in the building down there that every former player you ever talk to will want the same thing. Yeah, and uh, they're getting there, buddy. It's gotten back to that 1992 feel. So let's talk a little bit about the game on Saturday. My expectations going in, uh, I thought, okay, number one with the new rules, you know, they aren't stopping the clock on first downs that we were going to see less plays, and we did. I didn't like it. I hate it. Uh, Screw the rules makers. I want more football, not less. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Number two, I thought J.J. McCarthy was going to be really, really good. And guess what? He exceeded, excuse me, my expectations. I did think the running game would be better at the same time in talking to you, you know, when they were rotating the tackles in scheme and Drake Nugent, his first game as center at Michigan uh, after playing at Stanford last year, Miles Hinton, I thought looked a little bit clunky and Carson Barnhart at left tackle has some work to do. Your overall thoughts on the offensive line in the running game, which to me was a little bit of a disappointment. Well, the first series, right? So, you know, you get a stop and and they punt the football and it's, you know, rule number one is a, is a punt receiver. Catch the football, catch the football. So we start off and, you know, first and 10 from your own two. And I think we got maybe a yard before we punted. And here comes, it was like a flashback for me, Ballas. Linebackers darting. As soon as they see double teams, linebackers are coming and there's guys loose in the backfield and Coram or Edwards had nowhere to go. And all of a sudden we're punting out of our own end zone. So that was disappointing. But overall, the feeling that I had was, okay, having been there, done that, although 31 years ago, uh, the first game, is it's not the same as any practice that Coach Harbaugh and his staff have put together. Game speed cannot be replicated in practice. So you just expect there's going to be a little clunkiness. There's going to be a little bit of fit and finish kind of things that are going on out there that aren't as clean as they will be in a month from now. And you're rotating in some tackles. You got Barnhart Ploy, who was used to being a right right tackle guy. Now is a left tackle guy in real live game speed. So none of that surprised me. None of that was like, eh, you know, okay. But Michigan's offensive line is talented enough that they did enough at times that was needed to move the football. I thought pass protection was average to be pretty good. Uh, of course, the quarterback was outstanding, but we'll get to that in a second. But Nugent in center, I thought, you know, he's not the physical guy that Olotimi was. He's not as tall and as long. But I, I see this guy, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I can see this. He, he You know, again, we, I think we talked about in a previous, a previous podcast, he kind of maybe fits the Jeff Saturday kind of physical nature, maybe 6'2", a little, little shorter guy. But that doesn't mean you can't be effective in there. So I guess the point that I would say, Ballas, is none of this alarms me. None of this makes me concerned, right? I think Hinton, I know I know Hinton in that game there, got a guy off. He had a one-on-one off the edge. He slowed his feet down, bent at the waist, gave up a pressure. But J.J. steps up, delivers the football, and off we go. So you don't see that kind of thing as, and registered as a sack, but it was a, it was a pressure. And so on that you know score sheet that right there for Hinton, that's a negative. And those kind of little things, it's like week one. So none of it, I guess none of it was all that surprising. I was, you know, I would call the Michigan offensive line a week one average. And that's okay. That's okay for week one. Now, in two or three weeks from now, average is not going to be good enough. You got to get better. And in the old cliches about week one to week two impressive or, or, or you know, improvements, 
those will absolutely come along. And then whatever rotation Coach Moore's got going on with that group at the tackle position, that'll solidify here after the second game. And I would I would think by the third game going into the Big Ten season, we'll have a lineup that's set. Yeah, how much of the rotation in camp with the tackles working with the ones is going to hinder the progress? And, and I'm not going to make any excuses for them, but I've, I've heard it so many times and I've seen it so many times with lines that play together forever like the last couple of years, like yours in the early 90s, of guys that are so familiar with what one another are going to do that, man, you kind of know your every move. So uh, a couple of these guys just got here, right? They didn't practice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. At least two of them, you know. So uh, it takes time, right, to gel. So it's yeah. one of those things where, yeah, your expectations were maybe a little bit too high in the opener, but by game week three, week four, this thing could be really humming. It will be fine. So imagine, imagine your left guard or right guard. You're, you're Keegan or your center. You know, you're a, you're a veteran in there. You're gonna, be, you're the, you're the solid starter. You've been there, done that, and and so, and Barnhart played a lot of football last year for Michigan. So, it's not a matter of capability. It's a matter of comfort and reps together. And so, the point that you made it, it just a moment ago is 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 valid in that. It just takes a moment or two and, and a week or two for things to kind of settle in. And, and the coaching staff makes their evaluations based on practice reps and game reps. Game reps obviously being pretty important. And then by week two or three, they've set a lineup. And then there's sort of this, this feeling in the room like, okay, everybody got their shot. We know who the starting five is. We know who the next tackle in the game is. We know who the next guard in the game is. If someone gets hurt at center, if Nugent gets hurt at center, who's the next guy in? That's all declared and it's on the board. There's no more questions. There's no no more battles. We know what the lineups are going to be. And that's when you'll see the the offensive line kind of come together and feel like, okay, this is the deal. And now I know where you, where you're going to be on this pass protection. And and we can talk about things. If things go well, we can talk about things. If things don't go well and you do that every day and you break down the practice film and the game film, and it'll all just settle in. This is this is absolutely an expectation. We've seen it now since Coach Moore has been coaching this offensive line. In another two or three weeks, everything's going to calm down, and we should see far more consistency out of this offensive line, and everything will be fine. How much concern that there wasn't as much push as maybe we expected? We saw down there in the red zone. Well, well two things. Number one, uh, we could see it. I could see it with the naked eye that ECU was going, not going to let Michigan run the ball. They had 11 guys running downhill mm-hmm. at the snap. And when I asked Blake Corum about it, I said, were they filling those gaps? Kind of like TCU did a really nice job with that and sh- slowing down the Michigan run. And I said, uh, and he said, boy, were they ever? And he said yeah. he'd never seen anything like that. So that's number yeah. one. But number two, even in those times, like down at the goal line, it didn't seem like they were getting the same push that they got last year. Now, two things on that. You talked about Olu, Olu, Timmy. That's a big dude. That guy was able to get some push. And it's going to be a little bit tougher for a smaller guy like you because he doesn't have the poundage behind him, number one, as strong as he is. It's all about leverage, and I understand that. But it yeah. certainly helps. It certainly helps when you got a 320-pounder pushing compared to a 290-pounder. Number two, um, the first 15 plays of each half are scripted. So that kind of threw things, I thought, on the first on the first series when you're backed up. Uh, it didn't surprise me that they ran three times. I thought maybe they'd get one throw in there. But yep. it seemed pretty clear to me that they were being on the conservative side, knowing that if something were to go wrong, and the one of the reasons, only ways that this was going to be a ball game was if they made a big – a big mistake down there well so the point you made about scripted scripted opening opening series and second series being scripted is is absolutely valid we used to do that 30 years ago here's the plays we're running no matter what and you sort of feel your way into a football game 
and you've got you got East Carolina there selling out to stop the run. And, and it looked very similar, like I said earlier, of the TCU blueprint, which was as soon as those linebackers saw double teams, they were throwing gaps. They were darting gaps. And you got defensive linemen moving. This causes some challenge for guys that are trying to double team dudes. But, you know, even even so, the technique maybe wasn't all that clean. You got rotating guys. It's game speed. Everybody's amped up to a new level that they haven't had since last year. All these things combined makes it look a little clunky out of the gate. We kind of go, oh, wait a minute. I thought Michigan's offensive line was going to dominate from snap one to the end of the game. That's not necessarily how it goes. And you can go back over all the course of Michigan football history or any other offensive line in the history of college football that was at the end of the season great, at the beginning of the season maybe not so great, maybe average at times. And that's exactly what we saw uh, Saturday in this football game. And so, again, it's, it, you know, Nugent may not have the physical stage, uh, stature as Olotimi did, but it doesn't mean he can't be as effective. Michigan has had centers that are a couple inches shorter but just as effective. I, of course, ideally, you want a six-foot-five guy in there that's got long arms that can pass pro like a guard or tackle, but you don't have that. But it doesn't mean you can't be effective, and he will be. Yeah. So I, none of this concerns me again, Ballas. I don't, I don't get too worried about it. And the first series, I thought, eh, that was kind of gross, you know, but okay, whatever. You know, we end up winning the football game, and then, you know, we flip the script, and we say, okay, so they sold out to stop the run. Well, great, super. What happened then? Well, our quarterback showed the kid's a stud. Mm-hmm. And we had some dudes downfield. We got a tight end. We got we got a slot guy. We got a wide receiver guy who's making plays everywhere. And what we talked about going into the season, Michigan does have to be better at, which was a more dynamic passing game, as I've said more time and time again now. There were certainly flashes of that. So it's like, okay, fellas, this is encouraging. Of all the things, I'm not going to get too excited, and I'm not drinking your blue Kool-Aid yet, Ballas, because the Kool-Aid dispenser starts. Mr. 12 and 0, Mr. 12 and 0. Yeah. <laughs> who's, who's handing out the Kool-Aid this the year? Kool- well, you know, there's, there's expectations, but I'm not going to get mm-hmm. too excited about what we've seen here, certainly in week one. But I, I will say that that watching that quarterback move around in that pocket, keeping his eyes up and downfield, and, and instead of looking at his pass protection, feeling it and moving around in the pocket and slinging that football on a dime. It's like, okay, we got a, we got a stud here at quarterback. Clearly yeah. we have a stud at quarterback. How do we keep this kid healthy through the, through the course of a football season, clean up that pass protection. So he doesn't have to move around as much. And if this is a flash of what we're going to see throughout the course of the season and this passing offense, then this changes the game for the expectations of Michigan when they get to the playoff. Yeah, he threw 30 times, and if you told me that, I didn't think he would have thrown, I mean, 30 times in three quarters, essentially, and uh, with less plays, again, which sucks. I hate yeah. it. I flat out hate it. But, um, all right, how about let's talk about the the goal line offense there. I was just watching the Florida State LSU game, and they got cute down at the goal line with second goal at the two. They threw three times and didn't make it. And I'm thinking, okay, you got all these people on the message boards. You got to be more creative down there and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, (laughs) line up, put a fullback behind him, you know, hand him the ball, get some push up front, get some push behind him and get him in the damn end zone. So no, I'm not going to blame the play calling there. You know, they almost got in anyway. They had it overturned, but uh, they need a little bit better push where guys just not getting low enough there or or what, what was going on. It always comes down to the fundamentals, Ballas. So I, it doesn't matter whether it's game one or last year against TCU. You either put your first step in the ground where it belongs, and you got to have your eyeballs down in the neck of your opponent so you get that geometric leverage there as a blocker 
And if you're above the other guy's shoulder pads, you're a problem. You're a problem on the play. It's not any more complicated than that. And so if you're taking the right step and your eyes are at the level they need to be, which puts the rest of your body at the level that it needs to be, you're probably going to dramatically increase your chances of success. So again, week one, we're up against a defense that's selling out to stop the run and make Michigan do certain things. And they sell out down there inside the 10-yard line, which I've said now for as long as you and I have been doing this, the game changes inside the 20-yard line. It changes mm-hmm. even more inside the 10, and it changes even more inside the 5. And offensive lines have to have to adjust to that. And even if you know, you know, going back years ago, is has been there, done by myself, and I watch college guys play today, you know, you come to the line of scrimmage and you've got a defensive line whose face mask is, you know, six inches off the, you know, the floor <laughs> of, the, of the turf. You know, this guy's submarining in front of me and there's probably not a lot of room for me to move somebody. Well, then you got to you got to audible out of that thing or you got to find a different crease in there some way. So it's it's again, you know, it, it could always be cleaned up. And this was a, this was criticism that you and I had last year of the Michigan offensive line at times in the red zone down inside the 10 that we weren't low enough digging guys out. And it was a little streaky at the first part of the season and at the end of the season. But again, I have trust based on what I've seen from this offensive line coach and this group of players that this is going to be figured out. So I'm not freaking out. Now, if we have these same problems a month from now, I'm going to start raising a yellow flag up the flagpole here and say, what's going on. But I'm not too concerned the passing offense stepped up. Roman Wilson had an incredible game. JJ had an incredible game. The tight end looks like he's going to be a future superstar. So there's a lot of things to be positive about. They'll get this other stuff figured out in the next couple of weeks. And let's not forget that their offensive line coach was not there. Yeah. And that is kind of important. Uh, you know what? With all due respect for the guys who step in for these guys, uh, there's a reason that the Michigan has won two of the last – well, the last two Joe Moore awards – as the top offensive line in the country because they are extremely well coached and their head coach isn't there either. So, uh, and those guys being on that field to encourage them to coach them uh, is extremely important. So I do want to get back to JJ McCarthy here. And it wasn't just the stepping up in the pocket, watching him fade back in the pocket when he kind of felt pressure coming from his right one time and throws back across his body over the middle uh, was next level stuff. Okay. What did he put on that ball? And where he is throwing that ball, that touchdown pass to Roman Wilson was an NFL throw flat out. So um, to me, he's taking that next step. And if they have to go with him, you know, it's, it's a cliche, open the the run to open the pass, then I'd be pretty comfortable with them doing that. Well, and then they have to, right? So the recipe, obviously the TCU, the the TCU blueprint, if you will, and, and going back to last year, Ohio state sold out to stop the run and it burned them. TCU figured out how to disrupt the run and cause a problem or two with JJ there to throw a couple of bad passes. But if JJ doesn't make those kind of galactic mistakes and throw the pick sixes, then this kid is going to beat you probably eight or nine out of 10 times. Right. And, and so, you know, he's, he's obviously an outstanding player from what we saw from the, the last game last year. And he made some great plays in that TCU game, but these flashes here early are really, really encouraging. Again, and in and, and watching college football, the most important thing for me is when you're always going to have a leaker or two in a pass protection, maybe a defense runs an effective twist or a blitz or whatever. Average quarterbacks take their eyes off of their downfield targets and their progressions, and they look down and they look at, they look at where the pressure is coming from. 
the elite ones can keep their eyes downfield as they're feeling things and then deliver a bullet because he's got that kind of God-given talent on that shoulder of his and that hand of his. Now you're talking about a special kind of player. And going back to what we talked about going into this preseason, I have all the confidence in this kid at quarterback. Who's the backup in case something happens to him? And when and when he took the targeting call in the end and he yeah. ended up flat backed and his he got hit in the head and then his head hit back on the turf, I'm like, oh my God, here we go. Uh, but of course he popped right up, which shows it's a sign of toughness and enthusiasm. I think I think JJ's got a bit of grit to him that we saw last year. And that, that play in particular where the targeting call was was uh, was made, a little more grit and toughness. And I'm telling you, when you see your quarterback make a play like that, trying to squeak out yardage, and he takes a shot like that where he gets laid out, hit in the head, his head bounces off the turf, and they're having to hold him back on the sideline from running back to the huddle and let's go again. Yeah, Man, as a teammate, that fires you up so much. You're like, man, let's go. I'm all behind this guy. And so these are all positive things, Ballas, that you don't see in a stat book anywhere. Yeah, he's something else, man. A uh, special kid, no question about it. One of the leaders on this team, he would be a captain if they didn't have six captains that were upperclassmen that were seniors and, <laughs> and get their six-year guys. Hey, listen, man, I played next to a guy named Steve Everett who wasn't officially named captain, but I guarantee yeah. everybody on that team thought he was a captain. You don't have to have the picture on the wall or the letter on your on your locker there, the captain, the captain's letter, the letter C there to be a leader, and clearly he is. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, let's talk about the running backs because a lot of people were concerned about Blake Corum. They said he looks like he's lost a step. And uh, two things about that. Same with Donovan Edwards. Uh, number one, he was hesitant because he had nowhere to run, yeah. in my opinion. I mean, he's you know he's juking a little bit. And everybody's like, well, why is he hesitant? Because those gaps filled so quickly. With yeah. linebackers running downhill or safeties, that there was nothing that he could do. And I thought when he got outside, he still showed that burst, and he did okay. Yeah, there were a couple runs by both of those guys. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what we expect. But listen, when you get the football and you're having to plant your foot in the ground and adjust your path because there's someone standing at the line of scrimmage or or a yard into your backfield and you have to cut there, you don't practice that in your walkthroughs. You don't you don't plan for that. That guy's not supposed to be there. So it goes back to the part of the, you know the clunkiness and some of the leakers that we had in that offensive line. If you clean that up, then we're probably not talking about Corum or Edwards losing a step. They didn't lose a step. And so, you know, at the same time, they're not Barry Sanders here. They can't stop and turn on a dime and be up to, you know, all pro level speed in two steps. So, you know, I'm not blaming these guys as I'm watching this football game. I'm like, yeah, he got tackled for loss or tackled for no gain there because it was a dude standing with at him, you know, staring at him at the, at the line of scrimmage. The offensive line has to fix that, and they will. Yep, they absolutely will. So, all right, let's go over to the defense here. And um, I thought they were dominant uh, against the run. I thought it was fantastic. Two things. I want to I credit ECU, their coaching staff, for their game plan on both sides of the ball. Number one, the way they attacked the run. You know, who knew McCarthy would be that good? We knew he was good, but I don't think anybody, including them, expected that he would be that good. Uh, and he was outstanding. So um, credit them for that and, uh, you know, I really making Michigan beat them with a pass, which McCarthy, McCarthy showed he could do. Number two on offense, uh, you know what? They incorporated that quarterback draw into their offense. And one thing that Jesse Minner said, defensive coordinator, was we couldn't pin our ears back and get after them because we had to be careful about that. And I understand that. At the same time, a little bit of disappointment that we didn't see more of a pass rush. There were times that there was pressure there. But your thoughts on them versus the ECU offensive line? 
Well, so the first thought that came to mind as I'm watching the football game is, is, is Coach Minter really, really releasing the whole defensive playbook here? I got a feeling that it wasn't. I got a feeling that it was like, okay, guys, we're lining up against ECU. Let's just see what our defensive, defensive line can do against their offensive line. The most dynamic thing I saw, excuse me, with any regularity was a tackle end or end tackle twist. I didn't see any, any dynamic blitzes or anything like that, and that doesn't surprise me at all that you're not going to display your whole playbook in week one against that opponent. You know, There's a lot of other big games coming, and you do want to hold some things back. Now, Coach Harbaugh and Coach Minner and others might say that we don't do that. We take the whole playbook with us. Well, you might have done that, Coach, but I have a hard time believing it because I didn't see a whole lot of things that were super dynamic or weird out of your defensive front. It looked pretty vanilla. Now, if you just look at that and you say, okay, well, if we go to the defensive line and we say, okay, how'd you do against the you know, ECU offensive line with a vanilla attack? Well, you probably could have been better, right? We probably could have seen a few more pressures. And I thought there was some good stuff in there. We saw Jenkins run around. Jenkins had a couple of nice pressures and running guys down and causing disruption in the backfield. Kenneth Grant, Little, Kenneth yeah, Grant was exactly. in there. Forced the interception and then got pressure in the end zone on another on another. So there was there was again there was streakiness. There were spots of really positive stuff out of that defensive line. Mason Graham had a really nice play early on. We're stuffing the run. Everything looked good. And again, it's like okay, at what point in the game you kind of check your watch and go okay, you know we're going to win this game. Let's move on to the next one. And we're going to feel the same way a week from now with the next opponent and the one after that until we get into October and we get into more exciting games and exciting opponents. But again, I don't. I, I think I told you and you, you and I were texting during the game with another former player, Stapleton, and I was like, you know, hey, let's not get too excited about what we see what we see or don't see here today. Let's just be happy with this, the positive that we see and the things that we maybe weren't so impressed with. I'm not worried about it at this point. Uh, this this team doesn't seem to have any glaring, massive problems. When we needed to get a first down, we got a first down. When the defense needed to get a stop, they got a stop. That was we give up three points, right? We give up three points. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bag on the defense too much because I, I just don't believe they were throwing everything at them. And let's be clear here, the excitement was coming from the punter in our little group text there. Nobody else. <laughs> both ways, which you know what? Go figure. So um let's talk about the I, I want to go back and talk about the pass blocking too. I forgot to ask you about that. The Michigan pass blockers. The job that you thought they did, were there some twists and stuff run at them and and how did they handle it? Yeah, well, of course, there was some there was some easy games in there, not a whole lot. The one the one play that sticks out to me, I mentioned it earlier, Hinton had a one on one off the edge of the, the, I think it was in the first half of the game. Michigan's moving uh, left to right toward the 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 south end zone there, and, and Hinton just had gave up a bad pressure off the yeah. edge, and you can't bend your waist as an offensive tackle. You can't bend your waist. You got to keep your head back, your hands out, and your feet moving. And so if, if, you know, that play right there, I thought that's going to hurt that kid's chances of becoming a regular right tackle. Mm-hmm. Trente, I think Trente is probably a little more athletic there than maybe Hinton is. Uh, I think Hinton physically is just obviously stands out and maybe, you know, all kinds of potential. But uh, the offensive line pass blocking and the offensive line as overall, the thought that came to mind was, you know, average for okay. a week one. Uh, no red flags. And at the same time, no dominating, absolutely just, you know, destroying someone. You know, we had too many leakers. We had too many uh, uh, guys in our backfield in bad spots. And so, you know, I kind of went, eh, we won the game easily. Let's move on and see what happens next week. And yeah. if we have the same conversation next week, you know, my, my concern level is going to go up a little bit and say, okay, fellas, 
you know, this happened in the game. And, you know, why are we not cleaning this up in week two? So we should see far less of guys in the opposite color jersey in our backfield, at our line of scrimmage, making Coram or Edwards break when they shouldn't have to break. And we should be able to get into more running lanes more cleanly. And so I would expect that um, if that doesn't happen, then we'll be having a different conversation next yeah. next weekend. And Sharon Moore will be on the sidelines next week to help these guys out as well. So and help make adjustments. So and I think people take for granted, you know, the the impact that Jim Harbaugh has down there too. He sees things. He's been played. He's been playing football his entire life. There's a reason that he's one of the best coaches in the business and has been for so long is because of his input on game day as well. If he sees something maybe in a formation defensively or something like that, that he thinks can work, then he's going to add his two cents to it. Well, I think, I think that's a valid point, right? Ballas. So, so, you know, coach Harbaugh got the suspension, which you and I have talked about is ridiculous um, in my opinion. And then coach Moore's not there. And, and what we, what we, what you and I don't know is, is, you know, what that feeling is to be on a sideline without your primary offensive line coach and without your head coach. And, Michigan's, I thought the football team handled it fine. We went out and performed and won, the, won a game by an easy margin. Um, but but I really don't know. What was the emotional impact on this team? Did, um, you know, did, did, did it cause a distraction? Did it change the dynamic of how they managed things when they came off the field as an offensive line unit and not having Coach Moore there to have that familiar voice and breaking things down? Um, that may have been a factor that we just don't know how to measure. And so it'll be good to have him back, absolutely. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, the rest of the Big Ten, Skeen. And how many games were you able to watch? Were you able to watch Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State? So I, I, I caught the tail end of Ohio State. I watched um, – I did not see Michigan State play, but I did watch Illinois play. I watched Penn State play. Um, and I caught a little bit of uh, Minnesota. Okay, your thoughts. I thought Nebraska was really the better team for the most part in that Minnesota-Nebraska game. I thought their defense was aggressive. Yeah. Can you hear me still? <laughs> I can. I'm sorry. I've got some uh, interference in the back here. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but the, um, I thought, so, you know what, they've got a long way to go offensively, uh, but I think that they've got some things to build on. Uh, Michigan State struggled with Central Michigan for the better part of a half and a quarter. I don't think yeah. that they, I don't think it, that, it sounds like the Michigan, like the Spartans were like, you know, the quarterback looked kind of rough in the first half, but then found, found a groove maybe in the second half. Right. What I didn't get a chance to watch, which was, you know, obviously part of part of the problem with the Michigan State quarterback was how effective was, was their offensive line in the first half of that game? Not good. And, and it sounds like it wasn't all that good. No. And I, I you know what? That's a terrible football team that they played. Uh, one of probably going to be finishing close to the bottom of the Mac. So um, regardless, I thought Penn State looked pretty good. Uh, did you watch yeah. part of that game? I thought they were physical. I yeah. think their, their run defense has some work to do. But overall, Penn State looked to me, like one of the probably the best performance of the three contenders in the Big Ten East. Yeah, Penn State's got they got an outstanding left tackle. They got an outstanding defensive end. They got a strong safety that's really really good. They got a linebacker that's really good too in there. So Penn State looks like they're going to be a threat. But as I was telling some of my friends last night, last I checked, Coach Franklin's still the head coach there, so that gives us an advantage automatically even in Week One. By the time we get to play him, because I'm never going to be impressed with that guy as a head coach. He's only as good as his offensive assistants and defense's assistants. And I've just never thought that highly of him as a head coach, game day management. Um, 
So, but they've got players, Ballas. They've got some really good players. They got a quarterback who they're, you know, obviously making the first official start as the official guy. I know he came in in some spots last year behind the veteran quarterback that they had, but um, he looked good. Yeah, he looked good, right? <coughs> he looked like he um, understood what was going on. You know, when they do those tight, you know, pictures on the on the television, you know, as a as a former offensive line, you always look at your quarterback's eyes to see: do you see panic? Do you see calm or do you see follow me? I got this. And what I saw last night was a calm, you know, for a young guy, a calm who looked like he was comfortable out there. So that's probably bodes well for them. Uh, there'll be a challenge to play because it's loud there. But, you know, again, um, of, of all the teams, it looks like, you know, Penn State looks like they may be, you know, one of the more, you know, prevalent contenders out of the gate and everybody that's going, Oh, Ohio state doesn't have a quarterback. Oh, Ohio state didn't look that good against Indiana pump the brakes. All right. Ohio state has football players and they will have it figured out by the end of November. Trust me, people. Um, so again, same thing for us. I don't, I just try not to get too excited about what we see in week one from all of these teams because so much changes in the next three weeks the, the best coaching staffs are going to find weaknesses in their opponents and they're going to get things fixed there and they're going to take advantages. And so there's going to be a lot of changes in the next few weeks and there'll be no exception this year with any of these teams trying to win this conference championship again. He's Doug Skeen, Michigan's five-time all, uh, five-time Big Ten champion, all Big Ten offensive lineman from Michigan Skeen. I appreciate your time. We will do it again next week. Go Blue Bows. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.